I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi there, it's uh, Doc uh, Joshy here, and um, Manchester United fan, you might have known me as Busby MUFC previously, uh, but you, you can find me on Twitter at Doc underscore Joshy. Hi, I'm Jay. I'm uh, editor of the Eaglesbeak.com, a Palace fan site by fans for fans. I'm also a presenter of the Meridian Sports Show on a community radio show, Meridian FM. You can get that on online uh, on the TuneIn app or obviously at the website from meridian.com. Um, and yeah, you can get me on mostly on Twitter at the Eaglesbeak. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening for our clubs this past week. Uh, we'll start off with you, Joshi. Obviously, a match that was hyped a lot heading into this one. Records about uh, Mourinho versus Wenger flying all over the shop. Ends up in a 1-1 draw. How did you view this one? Um, yeah, I mean, before the game, to be honest, there was, uh, even with all the records, uh, you know, Mourinho's great record against Wenger, he's un- still unbeaten now. I think that's 14 matches, and, and they don't have a great record all- at Old Trafford, but Given their recent form, I was worried that they might sort of yeah, turn up and, and do to us what other teams have done and, and sort of take us apart. But actually, on the day, I think we were by far the better team. Um, we controlled the game. Yeah, we weren't necessarily spectacular. We weren't battering them, but we controlled the game. We made way more chances than they did. I think they only had one shot on target all game. And just like a lot of other games this season, we dominated but just couldn't kill it off and there's been many instances of that this season and it just seems to be we just can't quite get that one performance where everything clicks into place and we just get you know really take teams a team apart um i think overall actually we were close to that against arsenal and uh, i think the main problem was that we we sort of once we were one nil up and then there was only about 15 minutes to go, 20 minutes to go, something like that. We, we sort of took our foot off the gas. We, we tried to defend that lead. And it's just, it's just not in, in our DNA. It sounds like a cliche, but every team, that, every manager that does that regularly, and, and that's like Moyes has tried to do that because he's, he's, he, really desperate, he was really desperate for the win. Van Hal did that because that's just the way he is. And Mourinho, similarly, he likes to shut up shop. But they just United teams just aren't good like that. And it's, and even when Fergie was in charge, when we tried to see out games, it was, you know, we would actually put ourselves under pressure. We start dropping deeper. We start inviting pressure on the, on the defense. And in the end, they had created that one chance right at the end. And it completely undid the whole performance. It felt like a loss. 
even though it was probably one of our better performances of the season. And certainly as an all-round team effort, I thought it was a really good performance. Lots of positives to take from it, but I'm sort of fed up of results uh, um, not going our way and having to take positives. Sometimes, like moral you know, victories instead of actual yeah, exactly. ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Moral victories that actually don't mean anything. You know, it's like, oh yeah, we played really well. And in the end, because of the fact, the nature of the equaliser happening so late in the game, sort of the momentum actually goes back with Arsenal and the moment positive momentum is with them whilst with us again it feels more like drop points and again what ifs what could have been so yeah I mean during the game right up until their equaliser I was actually really pleased uh, pleasantly surprised we controlled that midfield I thought Pogba and Herrera were excellent in that in the middle of the park um, and we really caused their their uh, back four problems but in the end, it was just a point. So again, disappointing result. And I'm just waiting for the sort of for it to all click and then hopefully get some consistency going. Yeah, I, I do think there was definitely some uh, <laughs> moral victories here, including the patchwork back line, not having Zlatan available, which is something I do want to ask you about. This was really our first chance to see United without him. Some were concerned that maybe his style of play would slow you even more, even though Mourinho's already slowing you, and you mentioned maybe that's not the best thing for Manchester United. What was your perception of having Rashford up top? Did that open things up a bit more in attack? I think, I think um, yes. I, I haven't been impressed with Zlatan, to be honest with you. I know he's got, I think he's our, he must be our top scorer and, and whatever, but he's. I just haven't been impressed with him in terms of his contribution, even when he's not, even when he is scoring goals, his all-round play hasn't been great. He is someone who's, he's not high energy, high work rate. And I'm not saying he's lazy, but he's just, because that's just not his game. But uh, with Rashford up top, that is his game. He he closes down the centre-backs. He's running the channels. He's, he spreads the play. Um, and I thought actually in the first half, he was he was probably playing up against Koscielny too much. And Koscielny, uh, out of Koscielny and Mustafi, he, Koscielny is the one who's probably better equipped to deal with someone like Rashford he's more mobile he's quicker and he reads the game really well I mean he's we, you know before the show we we're talking about top class centre-backs he's definitely in that bracket uh, but when once he once Rashford sort of started moving a little bit further wide taking on Mustafi you could see a lot more um, from it and there are sort of more openings and Rashford's crossing ability from out wide is exceptional. It's just unfortunate that he can't cross it into himself. So, you know, <laughs> there, with him up top, he sets the tone for that sort of energy, that pressing. And it's, it's different to when Zlatan's in the side. Uh, but obviously Zlatan, has, he leads the line better. He's, he won't lose the ball as often. Uh, he's obviously a leader and he's, you know, aggressive as well. So they bring different qualities. But I think with, I I much prefer the way we play with mm. Rashford, even though we it's only been that one game and we didn't get the result in the end. Yeah, and then one last thing on the striker's position. Martial was excellent at times last season as a forward. If you had a left winger that you trusted, obviously Depay not in that category, would you have seen Martial start up front ahead of Rashford? Or do you think that Martial is actually converting into kind of a left forward, left winger kind of role? Well, I think even last season he did start out wide left um, quite a lot of games um, so I think at the moment it's a confidence thing it's a mental thing um, all the stuff happening off the field he's he's probably I don't think he's mentally in the right his head is in the right place um, he's when he's on the ball uh, he, he still he still can make things happen 
But what we're seeing less of is that work off the ball um, in terms of an attacking sense. He's still tracking back. He's still trying to work hard, but he's not making the same runs inside the fullbacks that he used to really taking them on and and uh, opening up the space for the passes to come into him. So these, this is it's that off the ball work that, and that movement that he seems to have just sort of lost. And it might I don't know if it's because he's not his head's not quite in the game or what, but the talent is there. And, you know, players go through these blips in form, especially young players. You know, you think of a top class player, they will have been through a blip in form when in, in especially in their younger days. So I'm not worried, uh, but you just have to wonder whether Mourinho is the right guy to sort of put his arm around his shoulder and bring him through. I don't know, uh, but we'll see. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fair enough. All right, on to you now, Jay. Uh, speaking of moral victories, it looked like you might have one of those on your hand with Palace, who had not been playing particularly well. You, you put up a decent fight in this Manchester City match. What was your view of this one? Okay, if you tell me I could talk about Dallas Cowboys this week. Oh, oh right, yeah. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, Rookie of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, of course. Nah. Maybe even MVP, I will say. For this brief NFL bit that we're doing right now, I would not be surprised if Ezekiel Elliott won both MVP and Rookie of the Year. Uh, true, although Dak Prescott might have a shout in there as well. For Easy. The the <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I could both do a, do a job for Palace at the moment. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, talk about Palace. Um yeah, we actually play well this week against a side, you know, like City, who are going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. There's no, uh, no denying that at all. They weren't that great, to be honest. They ground out a win, but again, the win was thanks to mistakes by us again, which is getting really frustrating now, and it's it's becoming a real problem because I'm not sure quite how how they can change that on a trade. If it, it can, all intents and purposes doing what they want to do or need to do on training pitch. But if players keep making mistakes on a pitch during a game, which you have done the last three or four games, uh, maybe longer than that, actually, that are critical mistakes that are, that are letting in goals, it's um, it's becoming rather bizarre and, 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 and quite hard to take. But we gave the City a run for their money, to be honest. And there's a lot of positives from the game, to be fair, uh, against against the top side. Um, but it's just these mistakes. Um, it's a shame Mandana didn't start this game. Hennessy was in goal for this one, although he didn't do that much wrong, to be honest. He wasn't really tested by City, and I think that's testament to the way we played in the game. Um, just the timing of the first goal when we were putting some pressure on City at the time and, and making a mistake, we just didn't clear our lines. And it was from that point, it was a kind of 
catalogue of errors really I mean we had three or four chances to just get rid of the ball and you know the new emphasis on Palace now is to play with the ball which is great all well and good but there's times when you play the ball and times when you just get rid of it uh, particularly from the back line and um, that should have been done long before Torre had the effort or deflected goal that it turned out to be but um, not taking away from you know, Torre he had, a, he had a good game two goals first game of the season come to Palace that's the kind of thing that happens if you haven't won a game all season come to Palace and you, you get a result um, it seems to be a common theme going on but um, I, would, I say disheartened it's a mixture of feelings at the moment really because that's five games in a row we've lost um, six games without a win uh, since our draw with Everton, which is off the back of a good run of form where we went five games without losing. Um, and that was after two, we're losing the first two games of the season. It's that horrid situation where, you know, with Pardew as manager, he always goes in fits and starts at clubs. And, you know, it's going through again. And I said at the start of the season, I'll probably repeat myself from a previous pod, but... I said that Pardew need, Palace need a good start. You know, Pardew need a good start after the horrible second half of the season we had last year. It, it's no secret that we are the worst club in the football league, as it's been mentioned several times in the last 48 hours. Um, I think we're 92nd in terms of the form table, how many points we picked up in 2016. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's, an, <laughs> it's an absolute horrible stat. But we're still in the Premier League. Um, we're not in the bottom three at the moment. We are playing decent stuff. You know, we've got our players um, back fit. Scott Dan's back playing again. His partnership with Tompkins looked actually decent on Saturday in the game. Um, it looked a bit shaky before that. They hadn't really had any game time, actual proper game time, because uh, one or the other's been injured. So so that was good to see. We're still struggling at full-back, although Joel Ward had a, had a really good game against City. Um, his clearance off the line... Um, uh, was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and we went up the other end to score a goal. So that was kind of catalyst uh, uh, for Conor Wickham's score. Is you know, score that what turned out to be an excellent goal for him. Um, it's just a shame, really, because we we made a we made a change to try and hold on to the point. Um, we took uh, Benteke off uh, Chan Yong Lee, which which is clearly a lesson learnt from the Burnley game uh, before the international break. You know, we went for the win and we got you know hit by a sucker punch in injury time on the, on the counter attack and. Palace obviously realised that you know it will be a good point against City, even though it's at home at that point. And then uh, and then of course you know lapsing concentration from a corner, 83rd minute, and we're letting a goal like that. It's it's pretty hard to take after playing well. So went away from the game disappointed, not so much frustrated as in recent weeks because there are good signs there. But we've got you know three games coming up now. We've got Swansea away, we've got Southampton at home, and we've got Hull away in those three games. Yeah, realistically, we should should be looking at picking up five points from those games. You know, we are we are a good side, but we're making silly mistakes um, and we're being crucified for not having a proper left-back at the moment. We really are. Teams know it. They come to Palace, put pressure on Martin Kelly, who's no full-back. I feel sorry for the guy. Um, he's got no left foot at all, and that's where the first goal came from, his mistake from clearing, which he tried to turn inside to, uh, uh, to use his right foot to clear it, and he just didn't get hold of it. But, um, yeah, it's, I'm just hoping... It's a big game against Swansea, there's no doubt about that. But we shouldn't be down where we are. I, I really don't believe we should be down where we are. Hmm. Uh, Caldinho, uh <laughs> which is, <laughs> he was affectionately referred to uh, by Scott. Uh, two goals in two now, right? Yeah, and he took his goal really well, actually. I mean, that first touch was brilliant. Took, took the ball past Abaleta and just fired it into the back of it. I mean, that's you know, that that's what he's known for. He's, he's good at that kind of thing, you know, to shoot on sight. Um, he came on a sub for Bente- uh, well, no, he came on a sub for Andros Townsend, which is a good point because Andros Townsend was ineffective that first half. Sorry, Literally- do you mean England international Andros Townsend? 
Yeah, and, and this is a hot topic conversation because we watch Wilfred Zaha playing out of his skin week in, week out. I mean, he's back to his best. He was back to his best last season, and this season he's been absolutely fantastic for us. And then Andros Townsend gets called up, and he's not, really, he's not playing for us very well at all. You know, we're not impressed with uh, his form since he's come to Palace. I mean, that one glimpse, uh, the goal he scored against Stoke City in the 4-1 win, um, we thought, ah, oh, that's, that's going to be a catalyst for him, and he can kind of go on from there. But the first half of this game, he was pretty much non-existent. And it was his ball back to Kelly, which put him under pressure for the goal. Um, you know, like I said, we still had chances to clear it from that point on. But um, you would you would look at town, a player of Townsend's calibre to take the ball forward and, and, and run at the opposition rather than looking to pass it backwards. But um, that's neither here nor there. But yeah, um, England's national Angels Townsend, um, almost invisible that first half. And he's, he's, not, uh, he's not making many fans at the moment at Palace. Uh, but Wilfred Zaha has been brilliant. He really has been brilliant. I'm just amazed that Townsend was called up instead of Zaha. Although I do know that there was a bit of this, Zaha had a bit of a problem when he was with the under 21s and Southgate was managing. So if, if that's the problem, then yeah, really need to look past that kind of thing if you want the best players playing for your country. Don't you? But, you know, anyway. Yeah. Also, I, I do need to briefly eat some crow on Zaha after seeing him train live in the summer. I was really down <laughs> on him. And then instead of being awful, he then had a really good match that day right after I saw him in training and has mm-hmm. followed it up uh, in the Premier League. So slight apologies to Zaha and his family and all the Palace fans that I uh, offended while in charge of the Eagles big Twitter account for those two days. Um, yeah. uh, one last thing on them. Mondanda was amazing in France has just kind of not looked the same player for Crystal Palace. Do you think that's because of the left-back situation, or do you think it's him individually? I think our defence will make any goalkeeper look bad at the moment. <laughs> really would. Mm. Um, there is a lot of uncertainty. Scott Dan missed five games, which didn't help. Um, Delaney and Tompkins. Uh, Delaney's getting a bit past it, I'm afraid. Tompkins has been in and out for injury trying to settle in the back line he's he actually like I said he looked good against um you know partner with Scott Dan who I think is a calming influence to uh to most players um but the left back situation is a massive problem for us right back Joel Ward hasn't been playing well either um to be fair so um Mandanda's made some good saves he was he was criticized against Burnley uh for a couple of mistakes he made but um I think when he's back in the side and Scott Dan in front of him as well, I think it'd be a lot better. Well, I'm hoping it'd be a lot better. But uh, he, he impressed me from the start. But mm. as as our season's gone on and we've struggled at the back, I think, yeah, you would hope that it's going to be a little bit. Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe needs, needs time to settle a bit. And you know, we don't have any French speakers in that back line either. So um, don't know if that's a problem. But uh, yeah, I, it, it'll come good. I'm I'm confident it's going to come good. Mm. Fair enough. And. The best blessing any team can have in the Premier League is knowing there are at least three teams worse than you. I feel like that's <laughs> certainly the case here. Well, not if you look at that form table in the whole night. Oh, yeah, then uh, lots of teams uh, <laughs> better than you. But <laughs> fortunately, the Premier League does not have that many teams in it. Um, all right, uh, on to Tottenham. We had a very interesting week. Uh, lots of ups and downs, including concern uh, about injuries coming out of the international break. There were articles flying over all over. Will Pochettino be without nine of his starting 11? Uh, no, of course not. What? Don't write that, please. Um, but a lot of people picked up like small things, most recovered, including Del Ali, who we thought was going to be out three to four weeks, but uh, did make the bench in this one. So that was uh, actually encouraging on the injury front. Uh, <laughs> we came into this match... 
with two very interesting yet also contradictory statistics that we were both on our best unbeaten run since the title winning side of 61, but also our longest winless streak since 2004, which is uh, not good, but was interesting. Uh, fortunately, we did win, so we broke that winless streak one. We also scored from open play, which is something we hadn't seen in quite some time. Uh, and with the win, are now only three points off top, which is pretty amusing uh, to me, considering all the doom and gloom that was flying around. Um, Safe when I have noticed that uh, we're perennially thought of as crazy in Tottenham communities because when we're playing really well and we're tempering expectations, everybody says we're negative. And when we're playing poorly and say we're actually not that bad, everybody thinks we're too optimistic. So that's a a fun thing. Don't be consistent, uh, unquote Twitter, apparently. Um, But uh, the match itself against West Ham started off as it always does with everyone freaking out about the eleven. Ali and Son on the bench with Harry Winks and Yanton starting instead of them. Raised a lot of eyebrows for sure. Uh, 4-4-2 diamond is what it ended up being. Uh, A lot of people were questioning that. It was our fourth different starting formation uh, in the last four matches, which is pretty impressive for Pochettino, who was so married to the 4-2-3-1 in previous years. And even if we had lost this match, I think there are very promising signs from Mauricio Pochettino. I think young managers who find success early, like Pochettino has can so easily get stuck in their ways. I'm sure Josh, you might slightly know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Mourinho, where clearly for Pogba, the 4-2-3-1, not the best thing for him, but he has to stick to it because that's the formation he wants to play. So even though we've trialed and errored, the fact that we're trialing at all, I think is very promising for Pochettino. And he did mention as soon as we bought Jansen that the purchase of a second striker who he trusted, you know, mixed results, but a second striker that he trusted would force him to think about other formations. And I think that is a very big positive for us long-term. But anyway, we, we threw out a new formation this time. Uh, I was concerned about where the width was going to come from. And I think it's because I still perpetually underrate both the work rate and ability of both Kyle Walker and Danny Rose. <laughs> because in my time as a Spurs fan, I have seen both of them be mindless and or awful many times. And it's difficult to come to, to to grasp just how good the two of them are. We, we have people asking, you know, do we have the best pair of wingbacks in the Premier League? And, I, and I'm sure several clubs feel they have a case, but I don't feel like you can outright say that we don't. Same with center backs with Toby and Jan. Um, I will admit that I think De Gea is probably the best keeper in the Premier League, but I think Lloris is, is second. Um, so very, very pleased with where our defense has been. But anyway, in this match, was worried about with Oh, Walker and Rose can just run the whole length of the pitch for 90 minutes and be absolutely fine. So that's nice to see. That's a lie. Walker came off for Trippier towards the back end. Um, Oh, and I think Rose is suspended. This was a very poorly made point by me. (laughs) um, I have been very pleased with those guys, and that is where the width came from in this one. Uh, Things did not particularly go well for us in this match. Uh, The West Ham goal, the first one, felt like it was kind of coming. It was... A little lucky, but it should have been scored on the header to begin with. Gets put onto the bar, then bounces around for a while before being put in. 
we did recover somewhat well Harry Winks scores on his debut, which all credit to Seifu, who's going to be the one that edits this to make it sound a lot better, um, said, wouldn't it be funny if Harry Winks scored on his debut and then it actually ends up happening. So uh, he has a little bit of uh, precognition there. Um, and I love the Harry Winks celebration when he scored. His celebration with Potch was very reminiscent of Bales against this very same West Ham side when he hit that absolute screamer, and then he ran over and embraced Tavy B. It's always, it's always nice to see that kind of emotion from players kind of acknowledging, you know, uh, the, the person that's put them in that position to, to score like that. It was not a super difficult chance, as Winks admitted himself, but you do need to have a level of composure, especially in a derby like that, and he did it. It, it was on the line. Like, it, it was not some wonder strike. But it was pretty pretty cool to see him score in that one. Um, uh, we did bring on Sun after we had conceded. And so we were down 2-1. We bring on Sun Hyung-min, who had been very good for us early in the season. That had kind of dipped off a little bit when we were playing him as a forward. Which I don't think I can remember, really, a time that we've done that for any stretch and it worked for us. We tried it with Chadley. We tried it with Bale. It just doesn't seem to work for us. And we're seeing it all throughout the Premier League right now, like with Alexis and with Firmino um, doing it at other clubs. But it's so, so crucial for us to have Harry Kane back. He scores two in this one, the equalizer, and the winner uh, from the penalty spot. He does score from open play, which is always nice to see. Although all of his goals from open play, three of them, have all been basically the same goal, where his first touch is like a little iffy, but then he tucks it in. Um, But good to see him back. (laughs) He did see a stat. Uh, that he has five goals in six Premier League matches, which is a really shady statistic, considering he started three matches, then was out with injury and has done it in the last two. Um, But, you know, there you go. Always good to see Kane scoring goals for us. Um, But anyway, Sun was very, very impressive. His pace versus tired West Ham legs just had them chasing ghosts, really. Um, And Nordfight on the penalty... We'll get to talking about penalties in a little bit. And we're not going to complain about specific refs, hopefully. We'll see how much self-control I have there. But uh, Nordfight was just lunging at what he hoped was the general vicinity of the ball and caught Sun's trailing leg. Um, so anyway, was very pleased with Sun and Kane, obviously. Uh, and fun fact for the Spurs fans out there, this is the third time in the last five matches against West Ham that we've taken points off them after the 80th minute. So, a nice little, uh, nice depressing stat there for the West Ham fans. A, a pleasing one for Tottenham. Outside of the individual match, uh, there has been other club news. Uh, the stadium is coming along very well. Uh, Steve Magukanu comes on here to talk about Northern Ireland and Tottenham with us sometime. Uh, was at the match and, and messaged me. It was like, this the new stadium looks amazing already. Uh, they've started to install some of the platforms for the stairs and some of the seating. So this is progressing very quickly. Uh, an interview came out where Daniel Levy says he checks the live construction feed at 8 a.m. every morning to make sure that they're already constructing, which I think feels a little uh, micromanaging. But we have a very tight window that we have to get the stadium built in. We only have the one year at Wembley. We applied for overflow and haven't really heard back. I don't think that it will be approved because it sounds like Chelsea may need it uh, during the construction of their stadium. So we have a very tight window. We got to have to build it in, but apparently it is going quite well. The other big news uh, is Harry Kane and the new contract thing. News broke early in the week that Harry Kane uh, was in negotiations for a new contract, but that Daniel Levy basically balked at their first offer. 
because he doesn't want to break the wage structure. Then Tuesday to Wednesday was everyone like, oh, Harry Kane's going to leave Tottenham. And then Harry Kane did the most annoying thing for journalists that say things like that by actually commenting on it, saying that he wasn't frustrated with the situation at all uh, and that he trusted that it will be resolved. So uh, we can put some of that flame away, some of that uh, fire that was being thrown around. But I do think there is something to this. There is a genuine core issue here, which is... Daniel Levy does not break the wage structure. There have only ever been two players to be on more than 100 k a week at Tottenham. One was Gareth Bale, and that deal was signed where he never played another game for us again. Because that deal was signed at the end of the season, right before he left for Madrid. And a lot of us kind of viewed it as, this will raise the price more than he's going to now earn this kind of money with us. And two, Emmanuel Adebayor, where his wages were being supplemented by Manchester City. So truthfully, we've never had someone on those wages, but on paper we have had two So if Kane does break that, which I think we'll have to, but, you know, there is a slim chance that we'd have to try to work around it, maybe try to get him extra advertising revenue to supplement it, something like that. But if he does break the wage structure, there are immediate questions because Lloris, Alderweireld, and Vertonghen would all be the next at the door asking for that kind of money. Those are the Champions League quality players that we have right now. Erickson should be in there, but he's kind of playing like garbage. So I do not think he deserves that kind of money at the moment. I still think, you know, the likes of Ali and Son and Dyer and maybe even the wingbacks are, are maybe a year or two away from, from commanding that kind of money. But, you know, this, this is the concern. This is why Levy has never wanted to do it because then questions would immediately be asked. We had Vondervaart. He asked for 100 uh, K a week. We ended on 80 because if we had done it with Vondervaart, we would have had it to do it with Montreux. We would have had to do it with Bale. Um, and so now we're in that same situation where we do have a very talented squad throughout, but we do have four or five that are clearly kind of leading the team. And if we break it for one, we may have to break it for all of them. And so that is, it will be interesting to see what Tottenham looks like in a post-wage structure world, because I do think eventually Levy will have to cave. I do not think you can lose a player like Harry Kane, who not only is terrific on the pitch, but also had such an immediate connection with the fan base at a time where after the AVB period and after the Tim Sherwood period, the fans and the club felt very separated. And having Harry Kane come through, and to a lesser extent Ryan Mason, and having like the the players be relatable to the fans and, and the fans to the club, and it just kind of created this lovely circle kind of family unit, as Pochettino keeps pointing out, where everybody, all of a sudden, the the support felt healthier and more organic. And I think Kane brings a lot more than just on-pitch performance. He's a very relatable figure. Uh, I'm sure all of us know people that don't know how to breathe through their nose. But um, we all certainly love Harry Kane, and I do think it's super important that we keep him. And I do think we will eventually break the weight structure, but I think we will have darker times ahead in this story. That's why I thought it was such a problem that everybody jumped to the, there are issues in negotiations. It's because I think there will be, but this was not that. This was the initial contact. Um, So, uh, you know, I think we have a long ride. I think we're going to hear some rumors floating around in January, probably in the summer as well, from teams that need a forward. But I do think he eventually stays. And as I said, it will be interesting to see how we deal with the wage structure after we break it for Harry Kane. But don't you think it's just a a matter of time before... I mean, assuming he continues in sort of the the form that he's in and Mm. develops into that the player that looks like he will be, like, you know, looks like he's going to be a top-class centre-forward for some years to come... I don't think he'll stay at Tottenham, no matter whether you break your wage structure or not, mm. because you, you'd have to 
it's not just about the 100k barrier it's the next barrier you know it's like there's ridiculous money and i'm i'm not saying that you, I, I i'm pleased that united do it but they do it and they do it to get the players in but real madrid will do it barcelona will do it if they have to you know it, it's, it's a myth that barcelona doesn't don't spend money on on players and they bring players through they, they spend a ton of money mm. um to get players in and and you know i just i don't i wonder whether I think Tottenham will have to win the league to to sort of to keep him eventually. You know, I'm not yeah. saying next summer, but ultimately, if if they don't, he will end up moving on, and and I think that's the reality. Just even just based on the money side of things. Mm. Yeah, I think that raises a second very interesting core issue, which is Daniel Levy learning from selling a striker to your beloved United after the Berbatov deal. And pretty much since then, we have not seen any of our good players stay in the league when they've been sold. But I think Harry Kane is uniquely and specifically capable in the Premier League. I don't know how well he would do in other leagues. So then you'd have that situation where, all right, if we don't want to do it and he wants to stay, what number gets him out of the club? And I think for an English club, that would be an insane number. And hope this is probably what Levy is hoping is hopefully nobody will be crazy enough to submit that kind of bid. But I do agree with you, um, and I think maybe with Kane we have a situation kind of like Griezmann at Atleti, where I think as long as Pochettino is at Tottenham, I think we'll have Kane. Just like I think Griezmann will stay at Atleti as long as Simeone is there. But the second the manager leaves, which kind of to your point about people moving on to bigger and better things, I do not think Pochettino is our manager in five years. I think he is going to get a big, big job sometime soon. And then you have those questions. Because as soon as there's a transition period, it's very easy for bigger bigger names to leave. Um, like as soon as AVB uh, <laughs> was struggling a little bit, Bale was immediately out the door. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I, I appreciate that Kane wants to be a Tottenham legend. I think he overrates how difficult that is. Um, <laughs> I, I think in, in two or three years, if he leaves for a bigger club, I think he will have already cemented that status. Although I would obviously love it if he stays the whole time. And he says he intends to, but I do see where you're coming from, that at a certain time, a big club will come offering titles, offering bigger money. And it is always very hard for those players to say no. Uh, all right, on to the topic now. We complain about referees constantly. So what we're going to do is talk about a decision that they always have to make, which is fouls that are committed inside the box that are given as penalties versus fouls outside the box. So uh, it, it came to mind because of the Spurs match, specifically the Jansen penalty. And we've seen Mike Dean do this a lot this season, which is shirt pulling or holding a player back in the penalty area. Now, this is by FIFA rules, obviously a foul. And it's something in something called the Group of Four in the FIFA rulebook Law 12 Part 1. Yeah, I actually looked it up. So I need to do more things with my life. <laughs> but, um, so th- these four rules. Tackling a player before making contact with the ball, holding an opponent, spitting or handling the ball deliberately. This Group of Four all results in direct free kicks. If they happen in the box, they're automatically given as penalties. But obviously, we've seen referees be a little looser in situations where they're in the box and a little bit looser with players who are already on yellow cards. Which side of this argument do you feel you align more with? Do you think that there should be special circumstances taken into consideration or do you think it should be letter of the law and that if it's a foul 
in the center circle that it should also be a penalty if it happens in the box. My problem is consistency. And, and when you, if you want to have consistency across the board, same rules applying to everyone, you have to just stick to the letter of the law. Yeah, sometimes it's probably soft or it's a, you look at it and go, whoa, that, you know, back in the day, that wouldn't have been a penalty. But then who you're, 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 you're asking the referee to make a judgment call. And then one ref might give it and another might not. And then, you know, in, in the United game, there was a penalty with well, a penalty call on Tony Valencia. And I, for, for the life of me, couldn't understand why, like the likes of Gary Neville and other people on TV were saying that wasn't a penalty. And it was just and, and the, the actual phrase was used anywhere else on the pitch. That's a penalty. But in the box, you, you, you don't see it given. And, and for me, that that doesn't work obviously i'm coming off the back of a result where it affected us but it's not about that one penalty it's more about that consistency piece you know if you stick to the letter of the law it's much easier to to be consistent with your decision making and then you're less you're less likely to be uh, criticized as a referee even if it comes across as soft even if it comes across as a little bit anal or picky it's easier to be um consistent that way than when you're having to make judgment calls and you're having to say, oh, well, you know, he didn't really mean it or it was slightly accidental or whatever it is. So, you know, I'm someone who who we I think we all want consistency from referees. And for me, because you, I just don't see referees as the most being the most intelligent people in the world when it comes to these judgment calls, stick to the letter of the law and be consistent. And that's what the crux of the thing is for me. I completely agree. I think they're actually, I mean, consistency is a massive thing, isn't it? And we all saw how the, the new rules this year were interpreted at the very start of this season where referees were going to the letter of the law. Other referees were kind of using their own um, common sense. I, I know we don't think referees have a lot of common sense, but but neither do a lot of footballers, to be fair. Um, I, I think, yeah, it, it, it is frustrating when a foul happens in the penalty area that will be given without doubt anywhere else on the pitch and it's not given in the penalty area. And and again, Josh has already said, consistency is the main key. And, and interpretation as well of as to how, how that's happened. I think the, the rule change about pulling shirts has had an effect this season on, on quite a few sides, actually, particularly mm. defenders. Um, I, I think it's ruined Ryan Shercross as a defender. <laughs> that was his strategy. Yeah. Pull the crap out of him. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, literally, I mean, the guy, you know, Stoke have kind of been a team, like other teams have, man-marking. You know, they're big centre-backs, man-mark. And you saw how it affected them at the start of the season. They just couldn't man-mark. And they were kind of, um, you know, marking space rather than, you know, zonal marking, effectively, uh, rather than um, man-marking the players. And and he was completely lost. Um, I haven't watched him recently, actually. I don't know if he's got any better, but... um, he, he, that's just one name that's you know plucked out of the air. It has kind of calmed down a lot now, actually, after you know the, the initial few decisions, and I think there were two decisions in that Man City Stoke game uh, for a, for a start, which I think was the second game of the season, uh, or, or second week of the season, even. Um, you know, these rule changes do kind of you know settle down after a while once referees have got used to them. That's the first thing, and then obviously players as well realise that actually I can't be doing that because the referees, you know, the referees are going to blow up for it, which is you know, which which is a good thing because pulling shirts in the area is one of the most annoying things we we've seen over recent years. Um, but again, yeah, if if a foul is given a on the pitch, I I would I would 
for sure say that it should be given in the penalty area. If it's, if it's deemed a foul, then if it's in the area, it's a penalty. And, and if the players are stupid enough to, you know, to carry on doing it, then they should be penalised for it. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I was interested to see how all these rule changes would impact the league this season. Because, Jay, even though we joked about the NFL earlier, I do think there's a, there's a reasonable analogy that could be made where the NFL got so specific with individual rules that it actually opened it up to more interpretation, which was yeah. a very interesting and uh, <laughs> seemingly oxymoronical situation um, <laughs> where it got so specific that referees are calling different things. So, like, now we have no idea what a catch is at this point. And I, no, do... I was just going to say, that's <laughs> yeah. actually the one. Hashtag Des <laughs> caught it. But oh. <laughs> we're not going to get into all that. You're but... killing me. <laughs> I know. I know I am. Um, but I do think that we're reaching a situation like that where you mentioned that shirt pulling has become a big thing. And I said that I would try to not be too negative about it. But Mike Dean is certainly, and without any opinion being put into this, Mike Dean is the one leading the charge on shirt, pull, on shirt pulling being called penalties. He's called nine penalties in ten matches this year. It's like and, he's working on commission or something. He's given a third of all penalties in the Premier League this season. Yeah, that Him as a single rep, he's given a... 33% of all penalties. I mean, do you think he's a shill for a big penalty? penalty? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and actually, I don't mind if he's going to do that as long as he, and he's consistent. And he has else. been consistent with it. And, and that's kind yeah. of where I was driving with the NFL thing yeah. is you have referees that are, as you mentioned at the top of this segment, Joshi, you have referees that are sticking to the new rules, like Mike Dean. He's, mm. he's not quote unquote wrong. This is now what the rules say. I, I want to be very clear about that. But you have other referees, maybe ones that have been around a longer time or have a little bit more of an old school mentality, who have the opinion of the commentators that you also mentioned, where they view it separately. Or you have referees, you know, referees get accused so much of wanting to impact the game. Like people will often accuse referees of wanting to get their names in the papers. But Hollywood refs. Right. <laughs> but missing decisions is just as impactful. When a player's yeah. on a yellow card and there's a second foul and you don't give it, that is not avoiding the limelight. That player should have been off. Um, and I think that, that this is a very dangerous road that we're on with over-specificity because it leaves interpretation between referees, which I know you were saying that being more strict would avoid that, but the problem is we seemingly can't get all the referees on the same page. And well, I'm not saying that we should be more strict. I'm saying we should have we should be consistent. And in the interest interests of balance, in terms mm. of that second yellow card thing, Matteo Damian should have been sent off, strictly speaking, uh, mm. and he wasn't. And you know, United benefited from that side of the sort of leeway. But mm. uh, you know, and it, it, you know, there is that you, you want referees to use common sense, but the problem is they're inconsistent with it. So in the end, I'm happy to just take this away from them and say, don't use common sense, stick to letter of the law. And in the end, it was the players that will have to adapt. Mm. Um, because the, it, it, the frustrating thing isn't necessarily the fact that they get things wrong. Because they're human, they're going to get things wrong. Nobody's going to hit the mark every single time. But if you try to, and you're visibly consistent in, in the way you make your decisions, then nobody's going to fault you if you if you do make a mistake you, you miss something okay and and you know it is difficult it's not an easy job 
but it, it you make it more difficult for yourself when you start being a sort of theatrical Hollywood referee and you're, you're starting to make judgment calls and things like that. And that is what's frustrating as a fan is when things that happen at one part of the pitch, you know, suddenly you, it, it doesn't matter if it happens another, whatever, mm. you know, it's things like that. It's that inconsistency that is really more frustrating mm. than the fact that they get things wrong. Cause like I said, nobody's perfect. Yeah. Everyone will make mistakes. Well, I, I think that's an excellent point because if you had Clattenburg and Mike Dean referee the same match, uh, you would have two very, very different games. Where you have two very different tends... games, but you probably want to still slap both of them. By the oh, end of it. <laughs> certainly. Well, that's because they're the extremes. Clattenburg <laughs> lets a lot of things happen on the pitch. Uh, I remember being blown away. That Chelsea-Tottenham match last season that ended up costing oh, yeah. us the title race, there, was, there were 12 yellow cards, but no red cards. Blew my mind because he never wanted to call that second yellow. Right? <laughs> then you have Mike Dean... Two penalties and a red card in our match yesterday. And so, yeah, these are these are the extremes. And I guess we just kind of have to live with that for now. But, I, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from with that. I don't want to say correction. You just said it again, and I actually listened better. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that if you stick to the letter of the law, in theory, you could be blamed less. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I think that most people are intelligent enough to know that, you know, they can see someone who's trying to do their job and sometimes they'll make a mistake as opposed to someone who's taken an interpretation here and he's sort of doing something differently there and it looks like he's just making mistakes here. But then half the people think he's made a mistake. Half the people think that he's done all right. And then it becomes a lot more, it's a more of a pain in the ass. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it is what it is and you can't, I don't think much will change, but it is really frustrating. Yeah. Certainly agree with you there, but unfortunately it is now time for us to move on to Player Watch, where we're going to talk about the players that impressed and disappointed for our clubs in our most recent fixtures. If there isn't somebody that one or the other, you can talk about somebody from the other team uh, that you were impressed by. We'll start with you, Joshi. Uh, well, okay, looking at the United side, I have to say I was very impressed by Antonio Valencia. Um, it's weird to say, given the way I talked about the match earlier and how I felt we controlled the game, but he was excellent. He was, and you were talking about wingbacks. He was up and down that right-hand side like a wingback and yeah. non-stop perpetual motion. He was a threat going forward. He was solid at the back. Um, his positional play, which is what has undermined him as a right-back over the years, has been so much better this season. And whether that's Jose Mourinho's influence or whether he's just finally getting grips of the role, yeah, I don't know. But um, certainly on at the weekend, he was excellent down that side. Um, and he, he links up well. And the, the, still the one issue I have with him is his crossing. He gets into so many good positions and his crossing does let him down too often. Um, if he could just sort of sort that out, he'd be so, he would be actually, I would go along the lines of saying he's, probably one of the best right backs in the league um easily but at the moment it's uh yeah no he oh, he was very impressive at the weekend anybody that uh disappointed for you um this uh, yeah, I, I, again i think we were overall very good um the uh, disappointing i would say i'm disappointed in rashford for the goal because uh he just sort of let Oxlade Chamberlain yeah. drift go him far too easily, but it's not a huge criticism. He's a striker, 
and he's 19 years old and Jose <laughs> Mourinho has asked him to play and track Oxlade-Chamberlain. I mean, to me, as soon as Arsene Wenger brought Oxlade-Chamberlain on at right back, I was looking at Mourinho going, you need to change this up. You cannot put Rashford on him. The whole point of him coming on is to be what Antonio Valencia has been doing for us, is bombing down that right. And Oxlade-Chamberlain isn't a right back and Rashford isn't a left back. He's not, you just, there's that, there was that mismatch and it happened exactly what I thought would happen happened and he beat the player and went past so yes I'm disappointed in Rashford for that moment but disappointed in Mourinho for allowing that to happen so it's mm. little but it was just that one moment so it, it, like I say overall it was a good great performance just marred by that that one pocket of play fair enough and also for the listeners at home this is the one podcast that's not going to ask about Mourinho's job security Look at that. Um, <laughs> Jay, who impressed and disappointed for Palace? Uh, impressed. We had a few players that impressed. Actually, Wilf Zaha, I'll mention again, who's been playing really well lately. Um, Johan Gabay, um, another player that's, uh, that's played very well. Uh, James MacArthur as well. Jason Punch. There's a few names that you could um, <clears throat> put into the category. I'm going to plump for Johan Gabay, actually, because I think since he joined Palace, he's not really come to... Um, play the way we expected him to and have the impact that he has but the last couple of games is since he's kind of come back from injury he's he's played very well even though you know we have struggled to get results he's he's kind of um you know kind of owned games in little ways he's created a good partnership with James MacArthur in the middle who's just a machine from one end of the pitch to the other every game he you know he runs his heart out uh, works really hard and, and, and can buy get stuck in with um, some really hard tackles on Saturday actually and really uh, play well for me um, it, it's a tough call between him Wilf and, uh, and Punchin actually because they all have very good games in terms of the one that disappointed I'll have to say Martin Kelly and not through I say any fault of his own but he's put in a position where um Kind of a lot of people kind of feel sorry for him. He's not a left-footed player, but he's playing le- left back. Um, for me, he's not a fullback either. I've mentioned it before that um, it, it'd be better suited playing centre back. So, yeah, just really because we don't have another another left-footed defender at the moment, and that's got to be our priority in January for, to get somebody in and, and support our fullbacks because they they don't have any competition. Um, and I say Martin for uh, Martin Kelly is not. A left back at all, and we're paying the price for Pat Sorry having a motorway accident um, that he did, and we don't think he's going to be back um, much before the end of the season, unfortunately. So I think uh, needs must in January. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, it's hard to look past Harry Winks on his debut. Um, it was just great to see, and he had a good match surrounding it. It wasn't just the goals; his passing was very, very solid, um, and uh, probably. I hope I'm not wrong here, but it feels like this was the best debut I've seen out of a Spurs player since Dyer uh, when he scored that goal. Oh, wow. <laughs> also against West Ham. Look at that. Um, but, uh, yeah, was very, very pleased with Winks. Also, uh, you have to mention Harry Kane obviously scoring the equalizer and the winner and Son, who uh, assisted both the equalizer and the winner uh, and assisted, to be fair, the winner in the new... Uh, if you're the one that's fouled and then the penalty is converted, you get the assist way. The the fantasy assist, I guess, would be the best way <laughs> to put that one. Um, but both of them were very, very good. And the Sun had just had such an impact. And it's kind of like, Josh, you mentioned earlier, when you're playing Rashford, it's a shame that he can't cross it to himself. We kind of have a situation <laughs> like that with Sun. He's so good off the bench, but 
he's also our best left winger, so we need to start him, but also use him as a sub. Uh, difficult to do, <laughs> I'll admit. Um, I think eventually that's kind of the point of George, Kevin, and Kudu, but he hasn't really fully been uh, instilled into the squad just yet. But Son is can just be so good for us at times, and I think he is much better off the left. I don't think that forward role really suited him, despite how well it worked against Manchester City. Um, but anyway, Son, we're finally really seeing the player that we thought we were getting when we purchased him from Leverkusen. Uh, although I did think we'd see better performances from him in the Champions League against Leverkusen. It felt like one of those narratives that tends to come true more often than not, a player against their former team. But uh, no such luck there. But he has been very good in the Premier League. And uh, he should be in line to start on that left side going forward. Uh, for disappointed, it's probably still Christian Eriksen. I, I don't know what's going on there. Um, and a lot of us thought maybe it was the contract thing. He wasn't playing well, signed the new contract, had a really good game the next match. Everybody wrote their pieces about, oh, well, clearly, you know, it was weighing on his mind, which I, I totally understand. I think that for anyone, if you were in that kind of situation where, you know, you have a family that you're taking care of and you're in negotiations with the people you work for and his contract was running down, if I don't sign this, does that mean I'm going to have to go somewhere else? I genuinely do think that that can have an impact on the human, which obviously can reflect in the player. But uh, he did sign that new contract, was better for one match, and then not so much since. He was okay last week, this week just not up to snuff. I, I have said ever since Pochettino started using him in this hyper-influence, not hyper-influence, but just hyper-agile role, where like Christian Eriksen right now is the player that's traveled the most distance in the Champions League. And everyone's like, oh, look at the work rate on Ericsson. But that's not the point of a player like Christian Ericsson. I realize that in the high press, he's very committed to it. But it takes away the ability of a player of his creative instinct to kind of sit back, read the match, attack space when it's there, instead of frantically always trying to chase everything. And I think that it's doing Ericsson a disservice. And I think Pochettino a little bit needs to be held accountable for that i praised him earlier for expanding and and learning other formations and stuff i think that this is probably the next big task for him is how to get erickson back to his best and i think if it means we need to not ditch necessarily but maybe dial back that high press to allow more creativity out of erickson out of ali i think that that would certainly improve us also the one thing that we've missed ever since selling modric is we do not have a central midfielder that can actually pass the ball to any reasonable extent. And I think the fact that it has to be Dembele carrying the ball to Eriksen does bring extra defenders in Eriksen's way. But we've gotten past that before. Eriksen has had great seasons when it has been this exact same uh, team. So hopefully he can turn it around soon. But you can basically autofill Eriksen into the disappointed category at this point for me. All right, and now we do have a couple of match previews um, because we have European matches. Tottenham in the Champions League and Manchester United in the Europa League, where Tottenham may find ourselves soon if we do not manage to beat Monaco. This group has not gone the way we'd like, but I am not actually that surprised to see it go the way it has. When we saw the draw, everyone was talking about how easy our group is, but I much rather would have been in a group like Arsenal's, where there's a team better than you, and two teams that are clearly worse, because that means you're going through. Well, we had in our group, 
was for similarly capable teams, although I think Seska have really disappointed uh, from their standpoint. It was great for us, <laughs> but um, I think that they've kind of fallen a notch below. But like all the jokes that happened during the draw like to- with Tottenham, even when they're in the Champions League, they're in the Europa League. Um, but that was funny with Monaco and Leverkusen often being in the Europa League as well. But we've seen that any team can beat anyone. Monaco have picked up a few uh, late points that I think has kind of helped us, or sorry, hurt us a bit uh, in terms of uh, winning the group, but it's kept us close enough where if we win our last two matches, we do go through. As for Monaco, the actual team, I'm glad that people are now seeing how good they can be. They've been playing better in the French League. They've been playing better in the Champions League. I feel like everybody wrote them off after that big Monaco year when they brought in Falcao and they brought in Moutinho. Didn't really live up to the billing. Everybody just seemingly was like, ah, they're not that good. But they have gotten a lot better. They have a lot of young talent uh, that can be very dangerous. And now Falcao's even scoring goals, which we haven't seen since, what, 2014? Before that World Cup. So uh, this is not a give me. I have seen people say that it's going to be more difficult because it's at Monaco. I don't know how many of those people have watched a Monaco match and the 12 fans that show up every match. I don't think that's necessarily the biggest negative. Um, but this is incredibly a must-win for us. Uh, we've already heard that Kane, Ali, and Dembele are all question marks heading into this match. They've all recovered from injury recently, and Poch understandably does not want to put them through their full paces. I've already seen an article saying that that's all huff from Pochettino. And just even if we do play all of them, I do not think that this is huff. I think there are genuine concerns there. And considering we've dealt with more injuries this first half season than I can remember, I do think we need to be a little bit careful with them, but you have to balance that with the fact that if we lose this match, we will be in the Europa League come January. Um, so we need to be very... Uh, man, I don't know what word I want there. We just have to get it right. It's a, And it's a very tough thing to do. And I think whichever way it goes there will be negatives to take away from it. But we are in a tight spot, and that is because of what we did in previous matches, not because of what will happen in this one. I think we do come through. I think we'll win this one 2-1, but no other result would particularly surprise me either. All right, Joshy, you have Feyenoord, who, hate to bring up bad memories, did beat you earlier this season. How do you think you'll line up in this one? Do you think we'll see Zlatan up front, and how do you think we'll play? Um, yeah, I think I think he will bring Zlatan back into the side. He's Jose Mourinho's man on the pitch. I think um, he'll come back in. It is something. It is a game. I think for some reason we just don't seem to get ourselves up for the Europa League. And I don't. I'm not someone who's like, oh, it's the only the Europa League. Leave it alone. I don't really care. I actually think, you know, it's a it's a trophy we haven't won. We should be going all out for it. It's another opportunity to get into the Champions League next season. And it's a trophy, you know. Um, but that being said, for some reason, the United side doesn't seem to get up for these games. Um, Feyenoord, yeah, they did beat us earlier on the season. And then they went on a six-game winning run in the league after that. Uh, recently, they've been slightly sketchy. They're still top of their league, having only lost once. Um, the last six games, though, they've I think they've won two, lost one drawn three so it's not quite as uh, consistent um, as they were early on in the season so they're coming to Old Trafford uh, it, it just depends on what sort of United turn up and this season it's been difficult to really predict even in games where we've dominated we haven't 
got the result like this like the weekend just gone so there will be changes I think um, from the side that played Arsenal uh, I think like I said Zlatan will come back into the side Memphis may get a game because as you mentioned earlier in the pod Martial hasn't really set that left hand side down or hasn't locked it down this season so there are opportunities there and in the Europa League that's probably where it'll come Jesse Lingard might come back into the side um, it's, but again, we've got so many players that have been in and out of the side, it's difficult to to predict what will happen. Mm. I just really want to know what the hell is going on with Henrik Mkhitaryan. Yeah, um, right? He, he I thought phenomenal. he was your best signing this summer. Exactly. He was phenomenal for Dortmund last season. And towards and the, the first like, three matches, that. he came on as a sub and looked yeah, terrific. And he looked good. Yeah, and, and then had that nightmare first half against City and sort of hasn't been since seen since. So... May, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's a mental thing. Maybe Mourinho's just decided to sack it. I can't be bothered with him. I don't know. And, and But I would like to see him get a chance. This might be an opportunity to do so. Um, I think we'll, we should win this. But as I mentioned, we've been so inconsistent. It's difficult to predict these things. But it's at home. You hope that we can come through. But you know, as you can tell, I'm not super excited. <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens. It's 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 one of those seasons again for us where it's just far too difficult to really predict. We have a lot of injuries at the back, so I I don't know. I think he might bring in Timothy Fosu Mensa. I, I really like the look of him, young lad from Holland who's been in the academy and the youth sides. Um, he's done well when he's played for us. He's come on. At, he's played at right back and centre back and in central midfield which um, most people think will be his will be where he ends up. So, But I think he may may get some minutes as well. But um, it's an opportunity for Jose to sort of try and bring in some of the fringe players, give them some minutes, and hopefully bring uh, Mkhitaryan back into the side. Fair enough. All right, well, that will do it for us. So why don't you guys tell the folks where they can find you? Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Doc underscore Joshi. And, yeah, I'll be – I tweet – about football, Manchester United, and, and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I'm Jay. I'm editor of the Eagles Beak. <clears throat> you can catch me at, on Twitter at the Eagles Beak, and I'm also presenter of a local community sports show at Meridian. Uh, it's called the Meridian Sports Show, uh, imaginatively. And get me on <laughs> at the Meridian SS on there as well. So thanks for listening. <laughs> That tickled me something real funny. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the podcast at EPL Roundtable on Twitter. This also goes out on the All In Sports Talk Network, the All In Sports Talk Network, which you can find at All In Sports Talk or at AllInSportsTalk.com. Uh, I also do the FPL Roundtable uh, with uh, Smokey underscore Lugie, Rob Langevin. We also have a DFS show over on VIPBet.com. So check that out for all your DFS stuff. I had a team that was doing really well until Harry Kane decided to go out and score two goals. Um, still ended in the money, but it should have been a lot better. But, uh, you know, that's one of those weird conflicts you get in fantasy. Whereas a fan of Tottenham, it went super well. And I was like, oh, I lost money though. Ah, well. Um, but anyway, thank you guys so much for joining us. It was a pleasure as always. And we hope you keep listening. Mm-hmm. 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.